There are some things in life that um, you get the same fact scenario and how you take it in is completely different according to where you are in life or your disposition, right? I think the most classic example that comes up every year is back to school. Because when you're a kid, you're like, oh, it's back to school. It's terrible. It's horrible. And parents may not show up, but they're going like, yay, woo, school's back on. Your disposition affects how you, how you take it in. And I want to suggest that there's part of our gospel lesson today that maybe is that exact same way. It's they're taking in the same thing, the same factual scenario, the same voice, and responding to it differently according to where they are. And I want to dig into that a little bit. But first, just a little bit of setting the scene. I know Eric did a little bit of this last week, but we're talking about John the Baptist. And, you know, John the Baptist is this wild man. I think every year, for those who hear it every year in the church, we kind of get callous to it. But every, we just need to stop every now and then and picture this wild man out in, in the wilderness who is, you know, just he's out there. Um, and he is doing primitive camping, right? And he's living off the land. He's wearing his leather girdle, you know, as it says. He's eating the locusts, you know, all this kind of stuff. That's what he's doing. And he's out in the desert in the Jordan area, which is locating where he is. But also there's a deeper significance in that, in that you think about the people of Israel and how God formed these people that he was going to use. He formed them in the desert. And here we get this same notion that God is doing something that's starting again, forming in the desert, the same kind of deal. And this is where this all is going to start. Jesus' introduction is going to be here in all this. And Luke's passage that we get, um, not this week, but last week, helps us place where this is more than the others. So scholars will say this is all happening about 28, 29 A.D. That he's out in the desert doing all this. And the thing about John, when I talk about being a wild man too, think about this for a moment. He, he is not... As I said, he's doing primitive camping. He's living off the land. He's not being paid by a congregation. He's not filtering one bit, worrying about how, what are they going to say. They may not pay me. He's like, the locusts are still there. We're going to be eating those. And so he's just saying whatever it is that he feels like the Spirit and God is telling him to say. So, I mean, he may show up and say, you liberals or what, you vipers or whatever it is he's going to say. And that's what he does today, you vipers. I mean, like he's looking at them. All, and he's gotten famous, so he's famous. They haven't had a prophet in 400 years to speak of. And so he's famous. Everybody's heard there's this guy out there in the desert who's, we, we have this sense that God's on him. He's saying stuff. So our people are coming out to see him, and he's famous this way. And he looks out, and he's getting some measure of their hearts and saying, yeah, you're not here for the right reason. And he calls them these vipers, these snakes that are going to come out of their crevices when there's a fire lit around them kind of a thing. And then he's starting to give them these hard messages about repent, turn from your sins, get ready, and all the other stuff that goes with it. And there are a couple of reactions that take place to it. And the, the first one of these are, is the, are the group of people who've come out there who are kind of smug in who they are as uh, the children of Abraham. And so they're busy trying to throw off what John's saying by just resting on the fact that, hey, we're the children of Abraham. We don't need to sweat this all this stuff where you're telling us to repent and all this, because we've got everything squared away. We're already doing what we need to do. You know, we, we praise God. We're already the children. And John's answer back to this is, yeah, that's no big deal, right? Because if, God, if it's all about just getting somebody to stand up and praise God, he can make the rocks do that. That's not what we're, that's ultimately not where he's going with this. He wants repentance and fruit. 
And I think it's easy for us to walk by this group and kind of blow them off and say it has nothing to say to us. But I think we have to at least pause for a minute and think to what extent are we kind of smug about this too. One commentator I was reading was talking about how we sometimes will say, well, we're baptized and we got all this and we don't need to worry about all this other stuff. And I'm not about to say otherwise because we do stand by grace. And as we sang a minute ago, that's how we're saved. And if we're not, it's not about grace, I certainly am in deep trouble. But we're not meant to sit on grace. God is calling us in that. If we're participating in that, it's not just sitting on grace because God's moving us in that. And so I think we pause to think, to what extent are we kind of like this first group? Kind of smug, saying we got this. We don't need to hear God's ongoing prophetic voice in any way. And then we come to the, to the second group. And I don't know on this second group, I don't know for sure if they were in a different place when this whole thing started or whether they sort of had a God moment where they changed listening to John preach. Because that does happen, right? I was reading a little vignette the other day um, told by a pastor out of Seattle who um, Edward Mark, Marcourt was talking about this trip he did down to Nicaragua with a mission team. And they were in one of the public parks in Managua and they were killing some time there. They had to spend the afternoon there for some reason. And he said it was a beautiful park. There were no beggars, he said. There were no um, tourists to speak of. But around the park, they had these little stands that were selling things. And one of the other pastors on their team, um, this woman named Barbara, she decided she's going to get up and go get a soft drink. She, she goes over to the booth that sells soft drinks, and she's waiting in line. And this little boy walks up, and he's just staring at her. And you know, after a while, she can't ignore him. So she looks down, and she says, do you, want, do you want me to get you a Coke? And the little boy looks at her and says, no, I really want bread for my family. And so she left that line, and she went over to the next booth that sold bread and she bought a number of loaves and, and gave him this bread and sent him on the way and she said that night as the mission team was reflecting on the day she was rec recounting what happened and what it felt like and her question was what can I do that moment changed her what can I do for these kids what can we do for this place what can we do and I don't know whether there was a moment like that with John where this group changes or whether they came with a different disposition but when John's preaching this prophetic word their question is, what can we do? What, what can we do? What shall we do? That's their question. And I want to suggest that that is the question. That's always the question. Because that is the most basic, humble question of faith, is to come to God and say, what can I do? And it's not necessarily the same as the people who used to wear the, the you know, what would Jesus do kind of things. That was sort of an ethical take on how they were going at it. This is a different question. This is where you are, where God's planted you with what, whatever sinfulness we've walked through or in or whatever else. It's turning it back to God and saying, what can I do now where I am? What, what shall I do? And it's ultimately an act of surrender because you're, you're saying, because, you know, the, people have said, and I believe, that there's only one, one real sin in the entire world. And it's wanting to put ourselves on the throne of life instead of God. And this is asking that question that's different. When you're the on the throne of your own life, you're not asking, what do I do to God? You're saying, here's what I'm going to do. And so this is asking that question that they ask today. What shall we do? What shall we do? And I think our disposition changes as we go deeper. I always remember one of the pastors who really impacted me, um, the church I worked at in London, was Nicky Gumbel. And Nicky Gumbel was this super smart guy. Who'd, he had done his undergrad in law at Cambridge and Oxford. And he was kind of on this journey of faith. And as he was getting more serious in it, 
he had this moment where he, he later, you know, giving his testimony, he says, I was afraid of going deeper because I was afraid for some reason that God would ask me to become a priest. And he said that flash forward a number of years as he went deeper, he wanted nothing more. Like, he was praying about it, and God was like, yeah, okay, that is actually what I want. But he said when he got to that place, he didn't, there was nothing else he wanted. I think we change, God works with us and changes us. We keep asking that question, what do you want today? What do you want today? What do you want today? And he keeps moving us that way. And they ask this question. They ask this question, what are we to do? And John answers, right? So John's answer on this day, first is to the entire crowd. And his answer is in part that we're meant to share and be connected. And so he, he's not labeling people, okay, if you're super rich, make sure you give. He's putting it out there for everybody. If you've got anything extra, share your clothes. If you've got some extra food, even a small portion, share it. And one of the things I love to do is to go back and read some of the ancient um, fathers in the church and mothers of the church reading some of their sermons. So in a sermon from the 4th century, um, Ambrose, uh, this bishop, writes this about this part. He's writing on the same passage we're looking at today. He says this. He says, Compassion is the fullness of the virtues, and therefore the form of the perfect virtue is placed before all. Neither should they spare their own food and clothing. Each does not take all to himself, but shares what he has with the poor. His answer in part is, not only is it action and bear fruit, but he's getting specific, saying, you've got to have this heart of sharing. That's part of, part of what it's about. And then we get into all these specifics. The tax collectors, he's tell, he, knows, he labels exactly what their temptation is, tells them to be honest. The soldiers, he labels what their temptation is, tells them to be honest. And that's, what, that's where he goes. And then the final bit of our gospel today is this final bit where uh, people, they haven't seen a prophet in 400 years. They get that God is on this guy some way. We don't get it in Luke, but in Mark we get it, that people are, are suggesting it's Elijah, the greatest prophet. And now they've been expecting a Messiah. And so now they're beginning to think, oh, actually, maybe he's not just a prophet. Maybe this is the Messiah. And John is going to be pretty quick to say, yeah, no, that's not me. And he kind of puts it down in three ways. He, he says, look, I'm not worthy to even be his servant. So let's, don't be mistaken about this. And he's like, okay, I came telling you, let's repent from your sins and, and let's have this baptism in water. He's going to come and baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. And the fire is really leaning forward to Pentecost. That This idea that Jesus ultimately is going to connect us with the Holy Spirit. And that's how we live out our faith. Part of what he does. And the third thing he talks about is judgment. And this is the part, that, to me, that, of this passage, this is the part that gets really hard because it's like, I'm hoping there's a whole lot of hyperbole in this, but we, you know, we're looking at it like, hmm. He's talking about this judgment place where the, the shaft and the wheat are going to be separated and the shaft's going to get burned and all these things are going on like this. And the truth of it is, I think, it's a hard passage in part because we're, everybody in the room is wheat and shaft. I mean, we all, nobody's perfect. I certainly am not perfect. I mean, not, all of us are not perfect, right? And so he's talking about this separation, but that involves all of us. We, we've got parts of us that are good and parts of us that are still needing more redemption. And so what, how does that work out and how does that play out with all of this? At the end of the day, we stand by grace, but I wonder to what extent this is meant to just be a charge. Take this stuff seriously. Like we're meant to be bearing fruit and taking action. So I think the reflection for us as we head off towards the home stretch of Advent is to maybe think about where our hearts are on this passage you know are we open to God 
John Wesley, writing about this passage, said, what we get out part of this passage is God wants to change our hearts. Are we willing to ask God today, what do you want? Are we willing to ask him that tomorrow? Are we willing to ask him that every day? What do you want? 